Let's pray together as we study. Father, we're thankful for the privilege we have to study your word. And we pray that your spirit will guide and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. Don had just one week before he would retire. And uh, he was looking forward to retirement. In fact, they bought a RV, a motorhome, with the intent that as soon as he finishes his, this last week, which would end on Friday, that they would get into their RV and start traveling and going on their retirement trip. So he was up in Washington State working and called up his wife, uh, Ruth, and reminded her that she should go and shop and make sure that, that everything that they would need for the trip would be in the refrigerator, in the cupboards, etc. So he kept on working and then he uh, checked back with her and she was actually uh, planning to do that anyway, as good ladies always are. He was just so excited that uh, he couldn't wait to finish this last week. So on Friday, he can go home, they can jump into their RV and start their vacation and retirement. On Thursday, he called again and uh, she said, yes, you take care of it. So she got in her car and it was not too far from her house to where she had to go to uh, kind of a plaza uh, with uh, the grocery store, etc. And she never returned home. He called and called and called and couldn't reach her. And when he got home, he found out what had taken place. A drunk driver, a young girl about 28 years old, was driving opposite to her, coming the opposite direction. And when she went around a curve, the other car slammed into her head on. The young girl survived. Ruth died. And when he came home to discover that he was not going to go on a retirement trip, that the plans they had were now shattered, he was brokenhearted. Which leads us to ask the question, and many people have asked the question, why is it that good people suffer with the bad, by the bad, or for the bad. Why is there suffering? Why is it that good pastors die? Wonderful fathers and mothers suffer, sometimes lingering illnesses, when it appears that the people who are doing wicked things seem to go on. It seems like they, nothing affects them, and yet, good people pass away. I'm thankful that the Bible answers those questions. And in particular, Revelation uh, deals with that subject. But I want us to consider that most of the time when bad things happen, who gets blamed? God does. How many of you have heard of Acts of God? Have you heard of that? It is interesting that insurance companies insist that you pay your dues on time. And if you don't, what do they do with your policy? They threaten to cancel it. And yet, when they have to pay you, then what happens? You have to wrestle with them to get their payment. And you can't cancel them out. And most of the time, if it's something that they can chalk up as act of God, they use that so that they do not have to pay 
people who have suffered loss as a result of acts of God. Did you know that? Well, now you do. Sometimes I hear people, and I've, as a pastor, I've, I've uh, been pastoring for many years, and I hear people say, why did God do that? Why did God allow that to happen? How could God allow this to happen? Why, why wasn't God watching out? God always seems to get the black eye for all sorts of things that take place. But the reality is that the Bible has an answer to this dilemma. We, we find part of the answer to begin with. A general response to that question is found in Matthew chapter 13. And you may be surprised at that. And then we'll go to Revelation. But Matthew chapter 13 gives us a general synopsis. And then we'll fill in the blanks as we go through the rest of the book. If you notice in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable. And that parable begins in verse 24. And it says, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Verse 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. 26. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sirs, did not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then have it tares? And the answer was, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Well, will thou then that we go and gather them up? And the response was, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together the first of tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The disciples did not understand several of the parables that Jesus gave, and oftentimes you find Jesus then given an explanation of those particular parables. So we find the explanation in verse 34. So the question is, you sow good seed, where did the what? Where did the tears come from? And so he answered and said, he who sows the good seed is the what? The son of man. Verse 37. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. Jesus always looked forward to the time when this whole issue would finally be settled. The issue of right and wrong. And so, going to the expression here, the field is the world, Jesus was trying to make plain that when God made the world, when the Lord made the world, in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, it says that he looked at everything that he had made, and it said, behold, it was very good. It was what? Very good. So Jesus did not plant bad people on the serve. Jesus planted good people on the serve. So when you ask the question, where does the evil come from? Here is the answer. It says that the son planted the good seed, but the enemy planted the bad seed. And so we see the answer to the question. Now, the enemy is who? Is the devil. Now I have to tell you honestly that a lot of people uh, have different ideas about the devil. Is that true? Uh, I remember when I was a young gang member in New York City. 
We were down in our basement clubhouse on Siegel Street. Pardon me, Van Sicklin. And in that street, we had a house where down in the basement, we all gathered together to do our particular activities. And we sent off uh, one of our gang members who happened to be 18 years old. And we told them that uh, we needed to get the wine so we could start drinking. So we all pitched in our money uh, and sent off, we called him Baldy. Because he actually uh, would shave his hair off. So he was Baldy. And so he goes off. And we knew exactly how much time it took to get to the wine store, the liquor store, and get back, okay? So we were waiting down in the basement. I was uh, next to the president of the gang. I was the warlord, or the one who set up the battles between the, the enemy and, and our gang. And we're waiting. Baldy has left, but we knew he was going to go into enemy territory. He was going into the Italian Neighborhood. How many of you remember the West Side Story? Okay. My brother Hector was pre the president of the largest Puerto Rican gang in New York City. So we're always fighting against the Italians. Against who? The Italians. Or should I reverse that? The Italians were always fighting against us. And the reason I'm saying that is because the Italians, when they arrived, they were getting beaten up by the, those people who were already there. And then when the Italians got settled, then the Puerto Ricans came into their area, and then they beat up on the Puerto Ricans. So it was, it was uh, that kind of situation. So we are down waiting in the basement. Baldi is buying the wine, and he's not showing up. And he's not showing up. He's not showing up. An hour later, we decided to send a rescue party. And so a bunch of the fellows got their knives and all that and went into the Italian neighborhood. We waited for them to come back, and finally we could hear the huffing and puffing, like uh, they were carrying something heavy. And when they came down the steps, there was Baldy. He was out cold. His shirt was all torn up. It looked like they had just wiped the streets with his body. And uh, we said, what happened? And they said the tots got him. We called them the Liberty Tots, T-O-T-S. And so we sat Baldy up in the chair and began to slap him around and throw water in his face. Baldy, Baldy, Baldy. And all of a sudden, Baldy began to shake and tremble. And he fell off the chair. And it looked like he was in a seizure. Foam started coming out of his, from his mouth. And it scared us to death. We flew out of there. Well, we waited for a while. And curiosity got the best of us. So we kind of tried to sneak back down. And there was Baldy lying down on the, on the floor. So we got downstairs, we picked him up, put him up in the chair again, and again began, Baldy, 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 Baldy. And again, he began to tremble and shake and fell off the chair. And again, we made a hasty exit. At least we tried. And as we were running up the steps, all of a sudden, there was a voice that said, Stop! And so we stopped. But it was a woman's voice. We didn't know where that voice came from. So we looked around, and there was Baldy standing, and his eyes glazed. He was not blinking. And he was talking to us with a woman's voice. Spooky? Yeah. And so... We were paralyzed. <laughs> and I remember the voice began to talk to us and his gypsy girlfriend said to us, it's his mother. She recognized the voice. The problem was that that woman had died. It's his mother. So Baldy pointed at us like this. And began to point at each one of us, asking us the question, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? And it's interesting, all of us, all of a sudden, believed in God. Do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe in God? Yes. 
And I remember he pointed at me and I said, yes, also. Of course, I lied. But anyway, then he pointed at Jimmy, the president of the gang, said, do you believe in God? And Jimmy said, yes. And the voice said, you don't even believe in your own mother. And at that, we flew out of that place. We had no idea what we were dealing with. We had never experienced anything like that before. And this time we waited about two hours before we decided to check things out again. And when we snuck down from the landing, we could see Baldy standing looking around. And when he saw us, he said, hey, guys, what's the matter? Where, where have I been? What's happened? Well, we had no idea what had happened. We had no answers. We only knew how he went into this convulsion and how he finally began to speak with his mother's voice. It was not till later, in fact, I've written a book called Demons or Angels. And I've written that book as an answer to the query that I had when I was dealing with that. I had no idea what it was, and most people don't. And before that, when I was a little kid, I was always being told about the devil. About who? The devil. I have to confess to you, I was a little Catholic boy that was not behaving too well. And I remember the nuns telling me, you better watch out or the devil's going to get you. Now you may think that's cruel, but that's what happened. The devil's going to get you. But what's the devil? Well, sometimes they paint them like this. Something half beast and half human with a tail and always with a pitchfork. In fact, they have them painted on these little hot sauce bottles. Have you seen them sometimes? Right? The devil. Okay, so the scripture reveals something different than the, the picture that a lot of religionists paint about the devil. The Bible reveals then that this devil is not some half creature, but he has many titles in the Bible. Here are his different titles. Lucifer, dragon, serpent, Beelzebub, angel of the bottomless pit, Abaddon, Belial, Apollyon, liar, Satan, adversary, roaring lion, deceiver, murderer, accuser of the brethren, covering cherub, prince of the power of the air, the tempter, to name a few. The reason why it uses all these different titles is because this being is not some dumb half animal, half human. He is actually a fallen angel. And he is revealed in the Bible, in, Gen in Revelation chapter 2, notice what the Bible says. I know thy works in tribulation, speaking about the church, and poverty, the believers who are going through challenges. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the what? The synagogue of what? Satan. There are many places in the book of Revelation that Satan is mentioned. Sometimes he's mentioned as the devil. It doesn't use the word Satan, but the devil. But the important thing is to recognize that even though there are people who don't believe that there's such a thing as a personal devil, they are at risk because they do not realize that they're dealing with a super being that has abilities that are far beyond human comprehension. We're not dealing with some animal. We're dealing with a fallen angel. In fact, chapter 12 tells us where he came from. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. Then it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that all what? Serpent called what? The devil and what else? And Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. 
he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. We have people in this planet that are super, super, super duper smart. Is that true? When you think of Einstein, how did Einstein come up with a theory of relativity? How did he come up with an understanding that uh, matter can become energy and, and energy can be reconverted into matter? There are some people that just have uncanny uh, abilities. They have, they have minds that are just mind-boggling. And yet the Bible says that this being is far superior to any human being with their intelligence. It says then that this serpent deceiveth how much? The whole world. Which means then that he is a very, very highly intelligent and deceptive being. And that's why the Bible warns us that we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, against powers. And it also tells us that it is against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness or of, of, uh, of hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So when the Bible tells us that there's a spiritual battle, it reveals to us that we're, we're actually not dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with a, a spiritual realm. And I wish I had time, and perhaps later on in the seminar, I can give you some very clear scientific data from the Bible that has superseded any scientific uh, knowledge that has been yet discovered. But there are things in the scriptures that are far beyond the comprehension of mankind. The Bible is actually a scientific book and not just a spiritual book. The Bible is a book of counsel, of, uh, of wisdom, of knowledge that surpasses any uh, knowledge that has been yet found. Because the scripture says of itself that it is, uh, its source is God himself. So, the book of Job, if you've ever read it, how many of you have read the book of Job? The book of Job then reveals the behind-the-scene activity that's taking place. How many of you sometimes are walking, doing something else, and a thought comes to your mind that you wish wasn't there? Any of you? Yes or no? Okay. Now, sometimes, if you don't realize it, you think that you are generating your own thoughts. The reality is that th this being called the devil and his imps, or his, uh, those that are with him, have the ability to, su to suggest thoughts. And that's all the temptation is. Temptation basically are suggested thoughts. What are they? Suggested thoughts. And so the, the, the enemy has, is able to study you from the time you're born. And knows how you act, how you perform, how you react, and what you do. And because he knows your body language well, he can suggest thoughts into your mind that make them appear to be your own. And because he has that ability, he can't read your mind, but he can read your body language. What did I say? He cannot read your mind, but he can read your body language. Maybe, maybe I should explain it this way. When police men or women are trained, one of the things that they teach them is how to read body language. How to do what? Read body language. So when they stop a car, they are supposed to keep their eyes on the movement of that individual because they don't know who they stopped. They don't know if it's a poor old lady uh, just made a mistake or some wicked individual in that car. So they watch the body language. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so that's why the Bible says, man looketh on the outward appearance. In other words, we are able to look on the outward appearance. We don't know what's inside, but we certainly can figure out sometimes what's outside. Now, when you look at the book of Job, God is revealing to you behind the scene things that are happening and why they happen. And the book of Job reveals the reality that God is not the one that brought the storm that destroyed the sun and the houses and the children in there. God was not the one who brought the boils upon 
uh, Job. And God is not the one that brought his friends that made his life miserable. Who was it? The devil. The devil was, was the one who made every possible attempt to tempt Job so that Job would finally curse God and die. And even use his wife to try to tempt him to reach that uh, level. However, the Bible makes it plain then that Job was willing to suffer everything in spite of the fact that he did not understand what was happening. He knew he was innocent. He knew he was trying to live a good life. He knew he was trying to follow God. But he did not understand why these terrible things were happening to him. And many times when things happen to us, we do not understand. And that is why it's so important for us to understand that there is a God and there is an enemy. Because if you don't understand there is an enemy, you will then chalk everything up to whom? To God. So if you know that both exist, then you realize then that there's a battle. There's a what? There's a battle going on and that you need to make a choice. So the Bible reveals then that there is a great controversy. And here I have two pictures. Here I have two pictures together. Number one, the first part is Eden laws. When God made the earth, God made the earth good, very good. And he made mankind to be happy and to enjoy all that God had put for him, for his happiness. The last picture is Eden restored. So the Bible, basically from Eden to Eden, is to tell you where we were and where we should be. In other words, God reveals the, what caused the fall of man and what led him to depart from that which God had purposed for him and how God will restore man back to the first original ideal relationship so that man could again be restored to the Edenic beauty of heaven. Good news, what do you say? So the Bible is basically basic instruction before leaving earth. What is it? V, basic. I, instruction. B, before. L, leaving. E, earth. Bible. Basic instruction before leaving earth. And so, all that you need to know how to get from the first lost Eden to the last lost Eden is to follow the plan book that God has given to you. And in that book, you discover then the great controversy that's going on between Satan and God. So, the Bible reveals that he was an angel, and here he calls him Lucifer. The word Lucifer means light bearer. It's actually uh, Lucero. Uh, most this, it comes from the, the Lucifer, actually, is a name that comes from the Latin, which means one who carries light. And so, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground? For you have said in your heart, I will what? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, which means the angels of God. And I will be like the what? The Bible does not explain to us how it was possible for a perfect being in a perfect environment to become a devil. All we have to remember is this, that we need to keep watch over ourselves because if a perfect being can fall, what about an imperfect one? So God then reveals the reason for the fall and that is that this angel looked at his beauty. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till what? Till iniquity was found in you. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And Jesus said, I saw who? Satan as lightning fall from heaven. You see that? I saw who? Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, Jesus said this to the 70 disciples that he had sent out to perform miracles. 
he ascended them out of the mission trip. When they came back, they were boasting. They were what? They were boasting. They said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us. And Jesus warned them by this statement. In other words, don't allow yourself to become proud that the devils are subject to you because it is pride that caused the devil to fall. So he's telling the disciples, I beheld who? Satan falleth lightning. He did so because of that pride. So, the scripture then reveals then that God made a perfect earth, a beautiful home for mankind, and that God had warned man after he had made him in his own likeness not to go to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the enemy was looking for an opportunity to take control of the earth. We do not know how it was that Satan decided to come down to the planet. Other than this, God decided that he was going to make new creatures that the book of Psalms says are made a little lower than the angels. Man is made a little lower than the angels. Did you know that? Well, you shall see it in the Bible. So since man was made a little lower than the angels, the devil did not like the idea that God was going to create new creatures. And so what the devil did was, he wanted to take the opportunity to prove, God, to, prove to, to God and the angels that the dominion of God was not the right one for them. That Satan had a better way to go if he had an opportunity to show it. There was a conflict then. God's character was being challenged and his honesty and goodness was being maligned. And so time was permitted for this angel to show his true colors. And unfortunately, when somebody's accusing you of something, it takes time to reveal whether it's true or not. Isn't that true? Is that true? Yes or no? Especially if you don't have a way to defend yourself. Sometimes you just have to hope and pray that in the final analysis, the truth comes out. But time is what's necessary. What's amazing about all this is that the actual challenges against God was because of the Son of God. Jesus had been living in heaven before he became a man. And because Jesus was the agent of creation, Lucifer was jealous of Christ. And he decided to thwart God's plans to make these beings holy as he was. And when Adam and Eve were made, they were warned. There is a problem. Just don't go to that tree. Sometimes we can't tell all that we need to tell our kids. We just hope that they will respect us and obey us. Is that true? Sometimes you tell your children, uh, I don't want you to do that. They'll say, why? Why? And you just say, I just don't want you to do that. And you hope that they will what? They, they wouldn't mind. Because there are times that you have no time to tell them why not. Because it's dangerous. And so, God told Adam and Eve not to go. Unfortunately, you know the rest of the story. How she went to that tree and was deceived and fell and the result was that she gave of the fruit to her husband Adam and a separation took place. When that separation took place, because sin does separate, God did not want to have that separation between man and himself. And so the plan was that the son who created the earth will then become the substitute for man and pay for man's sin to restore him back to the original relationship that man had with God. And so the battle got transferred from heaven down to our earth. And now you may say, why didn't God just send them someplace else rather than where we are? Well, you weren't here at that time. We are just simply re receiving the consequences of all that happened before. 
I mean, you can't say, why did my mother did this? Or why did my mother did that? You can't change it. Mom did it, and that was it. Or Dad did it, and that was it. Correct? I can't ask my mother, why did you have six boys? Why didn't you just have three boys and three girls? Well, that would have been a delight to my mother because she wanted girls. But every time she tried for another girl, she got another boy. And when she finally got the sixth boy, she stopped. She was afraid to get another boy, number seven. So you can't change that which has transpired. But you can be warned about that which is to come. Is that true? And so God warned Adam and Eve. Unfortunately, they didn't follow. They fell. And it looked that there was no hope for them. But then God made a promise. And that's found in Genesis 3.15. And this is the first prophecy. The first what? Prophecy that God made. I will put what? Enmity between thy seed and her seed. And unto thy seed, which is Christ. In other words, the promise was made that the devil's seed and the Lord's seed would be at odds with one another that the seed of Christ would finally conquer because it says that the seed would crush the serpent's head while the serpent would wound the seed's heel. So the conflict was on. The separation took place. The enemy now planted the bad on the earth even though God had planted the good on the earth. The sad thing is this. That you and I know that something grows faster than food. What is that? Weeds. Is that true? How many of you have gardens? Then you know what I'm talking about. They will, the weeds will grow and grow much faster. Especially these wonderful things called blackberries. They're everywhere, aren't they? And so, God planned to save man. But man had to choose to be on God's side. And so now the conflict was on until the Messiah would come. And women in the Bible, oftentimes it looks like they were baby crazy. The reality is that the women were hoping that somehow from them would come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So mothers were anxious to have there, the seed come. Unfortunately, with Eve, for example, she thought that Abel was the seed. Did you know that? Turn in your book to Genesis, in the Bible, to Genesis chapter 4. And you will see what I'm saying. Genesis chapter 4. And look at verse 25 and 26. Genesis chapter 4, verse 25 and 26. Notice what it says. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name what? Seth. Genesis 4, verse 25. Can you see that? Okay, call his name what? Seth. Which the actual Hebrew means appointed. What was his name meaning? Appointed. And it says, For God, said she, have appointed me another what? Another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So who did she think was the seed? It was Abel. She was certain that Cain could not be because of his spirit that he manifested in slaying his brother. So she believed that Abel would be the seed. And when Abel died, she thought there was no hope. But when she had another child... Then she regained hope that somehow through her, the seed would come, the promised Messiah, the deliverer. And so then it says in verse 26, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then what happened? Began man to call upon the name of the Lord. You see that? So now hope was born again, was revived because they knew that without the Savior, there was no hope. And they knew that they were no match for the enemy who had deceived them. They needed somebody stronger in their lives that could thwart the works of the enemy. And the only safety was to stay close 
to the divine Savior. So by faith, they continued that relationship from the time of Adam all the way to the time of Christ. And if you look at Luke chapter 3, not this moment, you can write it down, Luke chapter 3, you'll find a whole list of the seed carriers from the time of Adam all the way to the time of Christ. Showing then that God kept his promise that through the woman, the seed did come. Hallelujah, what do you say? And so, rather than us, us being subject to the enemy, we could be subject to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the Lord be in charge of me. What do you say? And so, ye are of your father the devils, Jesus said, and the lust of your fathers ye will do. He will say what? A murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a what? A liar and the father of it. So, you and I then have been given the opportunity to decide on which side we're going to be. The scripture reveals that the devil knows that he has but a short time. A what? A short time. Let me just remind you. Jesus made it plain that through his death that the devil would be cast down. Notice what it says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be what? Cast out. Here's the, here's the thing that was taking place. During this time before the cross, Satan could still go up to the, un, un, to the inhabited globes up there and harass those who are still faithful to God. In fact, in the book of Job, it says that he showed up at one of those meetings. And God said, where are you coming from? And he said, from walking to and from the earth. In other words, I'm the boss down there. And Jesus said, no, you're not. Have you considered my servant Job? You think you're the owner of the planet? No. I got a, somebody down there who represents me better. And so, then Job got beaten up because he was faithful to God. But listen, in the final analysis, God said that Satan would be cast down. So at the cross, the whole universe could see what Satan would go to if he was permitted. To the ends that he would reach if he was permitted. When the angelic host and all the universe saw that he was so evil that he would even destroy the very one that created him, they lost all sympathy. And the matter now in heaven was clear that if you take the way of Lucifer, you will go all the way to that end. And so he could no longer taunt the angels of heaven or anybody else. Now he was limited to where? To all planet earth. And so, Jesus says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw how much? All men unto me. I'm thankful that he still draws us. What do you say? And so in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is what? Cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Then it says, therefore rejoice ye heavens. You see that? And ye that dwell in them. In other words, he can't taunt us anymore. Rejoice heaven and ye that dwell in them. But, what? But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath what? A short time. Things are intensifying. Everything is intensifying today. The political climate is intensifying. There are more diseases today than there ever were before. There are more storms, more earthquakes. There's more violence, more wickedness. We're living in, as the Bible says, perilous times. And the reason for that is because the devil knows that he has what? For a short time. So when you see the atrocities that are being perpetrated, when you see the things happening, it is the enemy that is trying to bring about 
a situation on this earth that will force everybody to blame God for what's happening when he is the one that is doing it. The purpose is to turn people against who? Against God. But the Bible reveals that it's not our loving Savior that causes those things. He is getting the bad name for it. But we know that when Jesus died, he died for you and for me. What do you say? We know he loves us. I was in Baltimore doing knocking on doors, and I came across a young lady. That young lady was on drugs. She could barely stand at the door when she opened up. And I said, I, I'm looking for this person. There was a, somebody wrote in, they wanted Bible studies. So I said, I'm looking for this person. Oh, he's not here. Where is he? Oh, well, I don't know. He left. So I was impressed to offer her the study. So I said, well, would you be interested in taking the study? She kind of looked and, oh, gosh, so she said. I said, well, let me give you the first copy and I'll come back next week and see how, how you do. So the next week I came and this time she let me in the house. It was a royal mess. I mean, it was filth everywhere. That poor little child, he was about two years old or a year and a half, walking around with diapers, still with all the stuff in it. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, the, the dishes were piled up almost to the ceiling. I mean, it was just filthy. And when you go in there, it's hard to breathe because of the filth in the house. But I went in there anyway because I felt that this young lady needed the Savior. So I sat down and studied with her, helped her to know how to find the text in the Bible and all that. And she began to do that. So I kept on going for several weeks. And then one day I went and knocked on her door and she opened up. She was bright, dressed up, hair combed, smelled like she had taken a bath. You understand what I'm saying? And I was surprised. So she said, Brother Torres, come right in. I got something to tell you. I walked into that house. It was spick and span. The dishes were gone. The sink was clean. The floors were mopped. The chair where I used to sit on was clean. Uh, everything was just spick and span. The little boy was clothed and he smelled like, you know, he had been bathed, etc. And he came, he always liked to come and sit on my lap. I didn't like it when he had, uh, you know. But anyway, so this time it was a joy to pick him up and put him on my lap. And so I said, well, what happened? She said, you know those lessons that you gave me? I said, Yes. She said, well, let me tell you what happened. I was studying them. And all of a sudden, I uh, thought, you know, this place looks like, a, looks like a wreck. I need to start cleaning. So she said she got herself uh, a rag, you know, to start dusting. And she, she had this bust on her little end table there. And she, she came to look at it, and it was dusty and all that. So she took her her uh, cloth and began to try to clean off the dust. And all of a sudden she pricked her finger and she went, oh, she said, she said, that hurt so much. And then she said, I wonder how much pain he suffered. And then she said, and he did it for me. She said, I all of a sudden realized that he loved me. She said, I sank down to my knees and I asked unto me, my Lord and my Savior. And she said, from that moment on, things were different. I saw things in a completely different way. I was free. I got delivered from my drugs, she said. I'm free. I no longer use them, Louis. And she was just rejoicing over the victory that God had given to her. What do you say? She chose a different leader in her life. And today you and I, tonight you and I, can make the same choice. A choice has to be made. Listen, 
It's either the power of love or the love of power. It's either Christ or Lucifer. And if you do not choose Christ by default, you're choosing Lucifer. And if you choose Lucifer by default, you're rejecting the Savior. You cannot be straddling the fence. You have to decide that you want to follow the Master. Jesus longs to save each one of us. He died on the cross. And ultimately what the Bible says is that Lucifer will eventually be destroyed. That iniquity shall not arise again. That God will make a new heaven and a new earth. And that all who choose can be with him. What about you tonight? What is your choice? How many of you would like to lift up your hand and say, I choose Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Can you raise your hand to that? I can too. And I'm thankful that I did it a long time ago. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we recognize that there's a battle, that there's much suffering and much more suffering to come. But we also know that if we put our lives in the hands of Jesus, we have a guarantee that ultimately we shall be victorious and live with you forever. You've seen our hands tonight. Keep us close to thee, we pray. And if we have not made that decision, Lord, lead us to make it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.